Well, good morning, church. Uh, just a couple of announcements here. Uh, tomorrow, I'll be involved, was asked to be involved in the Memorial 9-11 out at 3M. And uh, there is a whole a program there uh, to remember and honor those that have lost their life. And so those of you that are able to be out there, I believe it starts at 8.30 a.m. And, and after each uh, tower that fell, uh, there'll be a time of prayer, reflection. And so it's great uh, community outreach. Uh, also, I just encourage you, uh, some of you may know, may not know that <clears throat> Joel's mom passed away, Boutain. And so remember the Boutain family this season uh, as they uh, just uh, walk through this uh, painful time, the loss of his mom, and, and uh, continued prayers for them. Um, <clears throat> amen. Amen. Well, let's take a moment and pray and, and, and ask for God's blessing over today's message. Heavenly Father, we are humbled before you, Lord we receive your grace, your mercy today, and your strength. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your corporate anointing, that it would flow through the words that are spoken. Give me your words, Father God, to speak your heart. And Lord, I thank you that you have the power, that the words are spoken to transform lives. Lord, you said you've called and used the foolishness of preaching to reach those and I just thank you that you're so awesome as a God. You can transform lives even here today. I pray we'd all be challenged and encouraged in our walk of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, <clears throat> amen, amen. So uh, I'd like to get through today's <laughs> message. Uh, so I'm going to do my best on that. Although we're going to have to skip next week and get to the next. But um, I just want to kind of jump in. This is actually the fourth week in our series training for reigning, and I want to talk to you about running your race to win, running your race to win. So they're pulling that up right now, running your race to win. And so I have a couple of texts that I'm going to review, but the first one is going to be my text today. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. <clears throat> Paul writes, do you not know that in a race all the run is run, but only one? Somebody shout one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do not to get it uh, for a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Somebody say amen. We're going to jump into that in a moment here. Uh, I don't know what's going on. You can help me with these slides. The next slide, 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we don't give up, we will rule. Somebody shall rule. And so we've been talking about that, that God's called us to rule and to reign. Not, uh, we know there's an afterlife. And there is a, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, amen, and that will rule and reign. But what about here on earth? What about this walk of faith? I mean, God wants us to rule here. And he says, if we deny that we know him, he will deny that he knows us. And then James 4, 7 says this, to submit, somebody shout submit, 
<laughs> we talked about that. To the authority of God last week, he said, resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. And we talked about that importance of standing firm in the faith. It's a face-to-face confrontation that we have with our text was Ephesians 6. I know I'm jumping around here, but I'm going to go back to our original text. For we wrestle, somebody shall wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We see four times that word against, the word prose in the Greek, it means face to face. And so when we're dealing with demonic forces, it's really, it's like a face-to-face battle where the enemy's like standing up face-to-face and resisting you, and you have to do the same through God's strength. Can I get an amen? And so, and we, you, we talked a little bit about that word wrestle in the Greek. It's actually the root word where we get to palestra, palastra, and it's actually the house of combat sports. And so Paul writes this book in Ephesians, and he gets up to this point in Ephesians 6. He said, listen, No matter what I've told you so far, it's all important. But if you get anything, get this. And he starts and he talks about this spiritual picture of the local church, the palastra, God's training camp, training ground. And so uh, it's a spiritual picture. And uh, uh, I want to get into that. We talked about that the last few weeks. But, excuse me, he's using the illustration here of our conflict with unseen demonic powers and that are, you know, just marshaled against us. And we said this last week, Satan will do anything he can. Now watch this. Anything he can to take you out of God's purposes for your life. He will use hurts. He will use disappointments. He will use, you know, what, what it just add it in. He will use whatever it is. Painful life experiences that people just can't seem to get over. I'm not brushing that over. I'm not saying that's something that's just easy. We all go through agonizing. And I'm going to talk about a little bit what that word means, actually, in our text here today. And so that's why Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He says, do you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Can we say that together? Say run, run. to win. I'm going to talk about that. So how do we run the race of the Christian life such a ways to win? You know, we know that America is a sports-crazed society, right? I mean, <clears throat> and there are many sports-crazed cities in the United States. We got, you know, the, the Vikings game today, 12 o'clock. Fear not, you'll be able to be home in time. Tampa Bay and, <clears throat> you know, Tom Brady, he's retired, so there's hope. <laughs> Moving right along <laughs> for the Vikings. But when you think of the athletic games in the New Testament, you think about Greeks, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The Olympic Games. The Olympic Games, you know. And so the ancient Olympic Games date far back in 1770, excuse me, 776 B.C. Way back then is when they started. And um, they were held every four years, a little bit of history in the city of Olympia. But Olympia wasn't the only sports-crazed city in Greece. Second to... The uh, Olympic Games were the, the Isthmian Games, if I said that pros- properly, Isthmian. Uh, and they were held every two years in the city of Corinth. And so those games drew thousands and thousands of spectators and participants from all over the empire. They would come to these games, 
and uh, they were held in Corinth, where the apostle Paul is writing about in our text. Uh, so uh, one historian, he comments, he said, Corinth played host to the athletes and visitors at uh, the Isthmian Games, celebrated every other year. Next to the Olympic Games, which were held every four years, the celebration at the Isthmian Games were the most splendid and best attended of all the national festivals in Greece. Preparation for these events occupied the attention of the citizens several months in advance. And when the throngs arrived to view the contestants, then they would come to the stadium, so the vendors would come out and they'd bring everything they were trying to peddle and sell, and, and they knew they were going to reap a tremendous profit for all these people that were participating in the game. So Corinth was a sports-crazed city, and the Apostle Paul knew that. He knew that and because uh, he ministered there for about a year and a half. And no doubt, he probably attended some of these sports events because he was always concerned about being in a place where people were at that he could witness and be a witness for Christ and share the gospel. So he would watch some of the races as they took off, and he, he looked around, and he spectated and while he was there uh, ministering. And so what happened is, in writing this Corinthians, Paul uses the athletic metaphor to drive home this message uh, to the church in Corinth. And in one passage where this is evident is these verses that we pulled up here at the beginning in 1 Corinthians 9. This is our text this morning. Just a brief background here. I'm going to get to a few points. And 1 Corinthians chapters 8 to 10. Now watch this. Paul is dealing with the topic of Christian liberty. Somebody shout liberty. Thank God for the liberty in Christ and the freedom. Thank God for his grace that he has provided. For we are saved by grace through faith. It is what? Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so lest any man should boast. And I, I rejoice in that, and we believe that. Can you say amen? But uh, particularly in chapter 9, Paul mentions how he, he watches, he didn't exercise his rights of financial support from the Corinthians. He talks about that in those two chapters. Neither did he flaunt his personal liberty so as to offend those he sought to win for Christ. But here's a key point, watch this. Paul, watch this, conducted his Christian life in the same way that a Greek athlete conducted himself in competition. We're going to talk about that. As he encourages the Corinthians, so as well as you and I, to do the same today. Are you still with me this morning? Paul tells us in our text in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27, he says this, he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. And when he wrote that, the Christians there at Corinth would go, yeah, I get it. I know exactly what you're talking about because I know the games. I've been to the game. Only There's only a first place. And I thought about that. That's, that's interesting. All the Corinthians knew that. They knew about the foot races in those games. The races took place in an enclosure about 600 feet in length. The place was called the stadion, which where we get our word stadium today. And there were three kinds of races held in the stadium, which translates into many of our youth athletic events today. Uh, my son was involved in all three of these. There was what they call the state race. It was a 200-yard dash. Uh, now they may have 300. But the second race was a middle distance, was 400-yard dash. My son ran that all through uh, elementary, junior high, and high school. 
Uh, then there's, you know, there's 800 today. But then they also have what they call a distance, a foot race that was three miles or equivalent to our 5K. And they would run 24 lengths of that stadium uh, for, to get to that three miles. But here's the difference. The difference between those games and ours today, unlike our modern Olympics, we award to second place, right? You know, silver, bronze, right? But in those games, first place. That's all who gets a medal, first place. So Paul is pinning this, and these Corinthians knew exactly what he was talking about. How many with me say amen? That's why Paul says, run to get the prize. There's no second place. Are you with me? Here's the good news. You want to hear some good news today? Some of you just woke up. Unlike the ancient games where there's only one winner, Paul says that in the race of the Christian, every believer can be a winner and receive the prize. Every single one of you can get the first prize. That's good. That's good. Someone say amen to that. That's why Paul encourages us in verse 24. He said, run in such a way as to get the prize. So Paul is saying, all believers, somebody shout all. That's everyone. That's everyone that is listening. If you're a believer here today to, this, to my voice, everyone in their spiritual life need to emulate the pattern of these ancient athletes, all believers. That's what Paul is in essence saying. We need to emulate that. How do you do that? How do we do that? How do you run a race in this Christian life and to just make it? Some of you kind of just, you know, we've had the finish line up there. And I think about this when I was younger in my 20s and and 30s and traveled a lot overseas to Russia and Ukraine and Southeast Asia. And I would go with teams of other missionaries, Peter Mel and Steve Cornamone and and, and other missionaries. And man, there was just like a an intensity in those meetings. And we were passionate. We were in our 30s and 40s and had a lot of zeal. And, and, you know, and then, you know, you get a little bit older and come on, somebody. You know, you just get, you know, you wake up in the morning, you felt like you've been tumbled in a dryer full of nails all night. You know, <laughs> what's going on? And, uh, you know, it's like there's that finish line. And you hear messages like this, especially those over 50. <laughs> I, I'm in that group. I'll be 59 in a few weeks, uh, you know, or over 60, you go, I just want to make it through life. Somehow, you, you, the, the finish line, that goal back there, you just kind of bring a little bit closer because <laughs> many of us are tired, weary, hurt, in pain, confused in some things, disillusioned. Still like in a whirlwind, like, what has just happened? Am I speaking to anybody this morning? How do we do this? How do we run in such a way, especially as the older you get, that we, we get the prize? Well, I would say the first thing that we need is we need to hang on, to embrace, to etch in our soul a determination to win a determination to win. In other words, you have to have a made-up mind. You gotta make up your mind. Paul says in verse 25, everyone who competes, somebody shout competes, in the games goes into strict training. I wanna delve into that here if we got time these next few moments. That word competes, uh, I'm gonna talk about that. Paul views the Christian life as a competition. 
Watch this. It's a competition. But here's the thing. You're not competing against another Christian. All right? Well, she, you know, how come their life turned out? What about my life? How come you're not competing against one another? Did you get that? Man, I feel God here. <laughs> you're not competing. So who am I competing against? Number one, you're competing against your flesh. That, 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 that's what you're competing. <laughs> I'm competing against my flesh. Watch, watch this. That inward tug that pulls you to follow the lust rather than follow God. That's who you're competing against. Number two, you're competing against the world. That which is opposed to God, the system that entices you to view life from secular humanism and their perspective, and rather than being biblical and having a Christian perspective and a, and a Christian worldview, you're competing against that. It's pounding this generation. It is relentless on this generation through social media, TikTok. I mean, I mean, every single it is. It is like it is possessing our generation. Better believe it is. It's possessing them. Like, like it is causing them to have mental health issues with this competition. And she's so beautiful. He's got it. This, that, and this comparison. And it's caused suicides in this generation. And, and yeah, a lot of it, China's behind it. But behind China is the devil. Now, there's more Christians in China probably than in the United States. Let me just say that. There's 1.3 billion people there. And there's over 50 million. So, God loves the Chinese, but we're just talking about the spirit of the age. Are you with me? The spirit of the age, you're competing against the world and that system, and you're competing against Satan and his demons. A lot of stuff's coming out now and movies and, you know, there's, there's like a uh, renewal about the demonic. Listen, the devil's been around forever. And back in the 70s, I was involved in deliverance ministry, you know, and there's always an insurgent. Here's the thing. The devil's greatest tactic is to make you believe he doesn't exist. That is his greatest tactic. I don't want, don't want any, but some people, God bless them, and they, uh, you know, they merchandise that anointing, and they, they're just using the supernatural things as a means for gain, and uh, that's dangerous ground, in my opinion. But Satan and his demons are real. And there are spirits that tempt you to live a life of sin rather than a life of godliness. They I, I didn't get an amen in that. They tempt you to sin, young people. These demons, they tempt you to draw you away, adults, young people, grandparents, all of us. <clears throat> they tempt you. And here's the thing. You're competing against the world. We're competing against the flesh. We're competing against the devil. We are not competing against one another. Can you say amen? Here's the thing. This competition isn't easy. I remember getting saved and getting involved in Word of Faith movement, and, and there was a wonderful, amazing truth with the Word of Faith movement. There was a lot of things about the Word of God getting in your spirit. Come on, somebody. Speaking the Word of God in situations. But then you got another whole ditch. This is something about believers. We, we get off in a ditch. This is the new thing. There's always going to be a new thing. But God's trying to ground you right where you're at. So you raise kids that are solid, that are in church, and you grow yourself, and you don't wind off on some crazy rabbit hole. All right? I've been down some rabbit holes. Right, yeah, amen. And you know what? You learn from them. It's okay. God brings you back. 
That's why the Bible says we are to walk circumspect. That means straight down the narrow way. Am I speaking to anybody? But this competition, it's not easy. It's tough. It's hard. And Paul knew that. That's why he uses this, this, this illustration, this athletic metaphor. Here's something I thought was interesting. The word compete in verse 25 in the Greek is this word, agonazomai. How many wonder what that means in English? Agony. Someone shout agony. <laughs> so those who compete are those who are in agony. Is anybody, don't raise your hand, in agony today. All I would say is you're competing. You're just competing. Agony, agony. It means to exert oneself, to fight, to labor fervently, to strive, to devote serious effort and energy. It implies great exertion against great difficulty. It suggests a persistent effort. That's what it means to compete. That's, is anybody competing today? You can say amen to that. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in. So if someone says, how you doing? Say, hey, I'm in competition. I am competing. You're, oh, what is it? You're agonizing. You're going through some stuff. Am I speaking to anybody? First century Stoic philosopher, Epictetus, I believe is how it's said. In the Olympic Games, he said, you cannot just be beaten, then depart. But first of all, you will be disgraced. Not only before the people of Athens and Sparta, but before the whole world. And in the second place, if you withdraw without sufficient reason, you will be whipped. <laughs> This is part of the rules. You will be ripped, whipped, and this whipping comes after your training, which involves thirst, broiling heat, and swallowing handfuls of sand. <laughs> the training and competition in Greek games was tough. It was a serious matter, and it took determination to win. Are you still with me? So how about you this morning? All right? Are you determined to win your spiritual race? Ah, it's, oh, man, I've been through, pastor, I am, I am agonizing in my soul about these weighty things, my marriage, my family, my kids, relationships, what happened, what didn't happen, what should have happened. Am I speaking to anybody? I'm agonizing. Paul says, you have to have a determination. You're not going to quit. You're going to win. I believe the Holy Spirit is grabbing a hold of some people's souls right now this morning. I believe that. And so, so it demands a determination. Or do you have this, hey, who cares, you know, attitude? You know, here's the thing about when we all go through difficulty and pain, and some pain is way more compounded than others. How many know that God is a good God, and he has been touched by the feelings of our infirmities, Hebrews says, that God feels what we go through. And there's a season he wants to heal you, okay? So when I preach this, know that this isn't to encourage you, it's to ignite you and to help you continue to move forward. But those that are feeling like, you know what, I am in major agony, Pastor Mike, and you may be gone through some things. You feel, I've been through the flames and everything's scorched. I've dug a hole so deep, it's really dark. I can't see the top. God has healing for your soul. The Bible talks about it. See, and I even believe this next weekend of events and meetings with Rex Crane is going to bring a refreshing to many of your souls. You know, there is miracles happening this next weekend. This miracle's happening now. But I believe there will be miracles happening for those that are involved. And he said, he's just promoting the event. You better believe I am. 
because we're bringing in this guy who is a national speaker, who has a healing gift on his life, I believe will bring deliverance and freedom to your life if you be involved in that. Amen? And so, so I want to encourage you. It demands a determination. Very quickly, second thing. Obedience to the rules. Pass a mic. You said grace. That's legalism. I'm not under legalism. Relax. Breathe in. Put your stones down. It actually is talking about, when we talk about this verse, the preparation of the fight before the fight begins. He's talking about the preparation and the training beforehand. And that's what Paul is focusing on. There are rules that the athletes had to adhere to, to win, to win their prize. All right? That's not legalism. That's help. That's telling me like, hey, can you, can you please help me along this walk of faith? That's, that's help. Paul has explained in Timothy how he should face difficulties that lie before him in that moment. Nero was rising up. They were persecuting Christians. Uh, you know, Timothy had a very large church. They believe that at, at one time there was 60,000 people in that church, okay? So when people are just like, well, they just met home to home, so I'm in the home church. Well, God bless you. But the New Testament had thousands that would come and gather together. <laughs> Thought I'd throw that out there. God's not against spiritual growth in his house. Amen? But tremendous persecution came in. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, Paul states, states that everyone who competes or agonizes in the games goes into strict training. Now watch this. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 5, that if anyone competes, agonizes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules Watch this. King James says, you have to strive lawfully. What does that mean? It doesn't refer to rules of the game, but of the training and preparation. They knew there were certain rules. You couldn't clench the fish. You couldn't do this or that in the game. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you preparing yourself for the fight. The palastra is God's house of training that prepares us. Now, I just want to read quickly a few paragraphs here. Bear with me, I think it's going to help as we bring conclusion here to this message. A little background. There were very strict rules that the athlete had to adhere to in both training and competition. Athletes in Greece came, uh, excuse me, as those games had to first qualify on a local level. They were selected by elimination trials, but that didn't guarantee them a spot in the official games. After they were chosen to represent their city, the athletes would submit themselves to 10 months of rigorous training in their hometown under a supervision of professional trainers. When they arrived at the training camp, the officials examined them, and then they had to take an oath swearing to obey all the rules of the training. If an athlete left the training camp even once during those 10 months, he was disqualified. He couldn't participate in the games. During those 10 months, he was on a strict diet, consisting mainly of cheese, figs, and dried meat. I don't know. Maybe that sounds a little good. <clears throat> he couldn't drink any wine. And if, if he was caught violating the diet, he was disqualified. Every morning at the training camp where the two were, uh, of the training camp, there were two trumpet calls. The first was the warning trumpet. It blew the, it, when it blew, the athlete's personal trainer came and rubbed him down with oil. Boy, I really wish we had that today. 
<laughs> get out of bed. <laughs> you have a massage therapist right there. The second trumpet was the signal to begin the daily workout. If he missed just one trumpet call during the entire 10 minutes of training, he was disqualified. Disqualified from the games. Every day, the athlete worked out. He was watched by people called marshals who would observe his effort in training. If he was caught loafing around or goofing off just once during the entire 10 months, he was disqualified. Are you starting to see the importance, the picture that Paul's painting? Look at this. This is the picture, how you finish strong. This is the mindset. Am I speaking to anybody? This is how you have to arm yourself, as Peter said. This is how you have to think. Don't think it's just, you know, lackadaisically, this is going to happen. You have to be determined. So after 10 months of training in his hometown, the athlete would then travel to the city where the games would take place. He would arrive there for another month of training. When all the athletes arrived, they would have a swearing-in ceremony. There they would swear another oath, stating that they had obeyed the training rules of the past 10 months and that they would obey the training rules for the next month, 30 days. So in training, the athlete had to obey the rules, and that's the picture. So likewise, the Apostle Paul emphasizes to believers the necessity, watch this, of obeying the rules in the race of the Christian life. So the, what is the rule? What, what is our, if you could say it, what is our guidelines? Uh, what is the guidebook? And where did we go to discover the rules for Christian living? It's God's word. That, that, remember that? Someone shout the Bible. <laughs> yep, got to blow the dust off of that, crack all those gold pages that haven't been opened. It's the word of God is the training guide. Are we with me? Amen. It's the book of life. The word of God is the book of freedom for your life. Freedom. That's why it's so important that we read, we study, we get the word on a consistent basis, that we discover God's word of life for Christian living. And on top of that, we don't just read, as James says, as a man that looks in the mirror, then turns around and walks away. No. What does the Bible say? We need to submit to the teachings of the word of God. That's the agonizing part. We're fighting against our flesh that doesn't like it. That doesn't like it. So we got to submit to the word of God in order to run that Christian race, that, that, that Christian life that he's called us successfully. And that is what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Let me quickly just finish this. The third one, we need to have this mindset of we are focusing on the goal. Uh, in verse 26, therefore, I do not run like a man, running aimlessly. He says, I do not fight like a man beating the air. I run with purpose. He says, I run with purpose. In addition to these foot races, uh, in these games in Corinth, it also included a horse races, chariot contest. There was jumping, wrestling, boxing, and they had javelins. They would throw discs. Whatever games they were competing in, every single athlete, watch this, every athlete knew that in order to win, he must have focus. You know, you watch a lot of these uh, Olympic races or track races and some of the guys that are so close to winning lose because what do they do? They look who's next to them. Unless they're way out and they know they're favored to win. Some of them look like this way and another guy passes them by and they, they lost the race because they're wondering about what's, what's going on, whatever it was. No, you have to have 
You have to be focused on the goal. Can I get an amen? Paul knew this. And we, he said, runners don't run aimlessly. They don't zigzag like a chicken with their head cut off. They run straight forward. A boxer doesn't swing their arms aimlessly. And I remember I was training with this guy in one time, and he was training another guy that I was with. And, and he's like, well, you know, when you get in a fight, what do you do? He goes, I don't know. When I was drunk, all I would do was this. I'm like, that's a perfect picture of being aimless. <laughs> you know, someone's going to come right on in that's focused and take you down. Am I speaking to anybody? That's not how we run our race. <laughs> you know, that's not how God says we run straight for it. <clears throat> we make every effort uh, count, beating our opponent, the enemy, into submission to the will and purpose of God. <clears throat> well, Paul the same way says that successful Christian living demands focus, that we are focused. We have to have the goal in mind. And so for a runner to run aimlessly, to run without focusing on his mind, he's just, he's, he's running without purpose. He's running without purpose in their life. You know, Jonathan Edwards, back in the 1700s, a great preacher, he said this. He said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Somebody need to write that down. Lord, let that be on your mirror. Stamp eternity on my eyeballs. That's how we are to live our life. Not we take our Christian eyeballs and put them down. Woo, we got Monday through Saturday to ourselves. We live our life with eternity stamped on our eyeballs. Because let me tell you something. Young people, life goes by really fast. <laughs> really. Ask anyone that's over 50, where did it go? I can't remember. I just, it seemed like it was yesterday I had my kids in the little, you know, car seats. You know, they're gone. <laughs> they're grown up, married. Life will fly by. It'll fly by. So we need to run with that perspective, with purpose, living our life with purpose. How badly do you want to win? <clears throat> and then number four, uh, the fourth point, discipline of the body. Discipline of the body. Verse 27 says, no, Paul says, I beat my body, I make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so, once again, Paul's referring to boxing, and he says, I beat my body. He uses a Greek word, and it actually means this. You ready? I'll temper it in a moment. I give myself a black eye. Right, relax. It's as if Paul was boxing against himself. Now, there's a spiritual component to this. So he uses this metaphor <clears throat> because of how rough the sport of boxing was. And we talked about how the boxers would wrap metal around their hands and they would squash noses, they would break teeth and ears would be, or noses would be busted. I mean, it was a very violent sport. And Greek boxing at Corinth was tremendously brutal. It was brutal. And so that's what Paul's saying. All of the Corinthians knew exactly what he's talking about because they knew what took place in the games. That's how Paul treated his body. That's how he treated his flesh. Now watch this. Let me just temper this. Paul was not a masochist, okay? He wasn't into this self-flagellation and whipping himself, and we read stuff about that. No, 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 that's not, that's not at all. Paul isn't saying that he physically abused or tortured himself. Rather, Paul is vividly describing his self-discipline, okay? Paul wasn't a slave to his desires, 
Amen. Selah. Pause and think about that. Wow. He exercised self-control. I don't have that. I don't have self-control. If you're a believer in Christ, Galatians 5 says you have that gift of self-control. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the self-control. Now, here's the thing. You may have the Holy Spirit, have the gift, have the grace of self-control, and not use it. Amen? We're all fallen into that. But he's saying we want, you, need to, you need to have this mindset. You have to have this mindset in your, in your body, not just a determination and obedience and focusing, but a discipline. A discipline where you go, no. I have the power. To as many as received him, to them gave he power, ability. Before Christ, you had no power, no ability. You are a slave to your sin. You are a slave to your sin. You, you, your flesh tells you, do this. You Okay. Go out and do that. Okay. And you're just killing yourself. You're killing yourself. Do this. Okay. But as a believer, you have power. I said, you have power to say, what? no. But here's the thing. Boom, the enemy's right there, face to face. Right up against you. What, who are you to tell me no? He fights you. We just think, we go, get out of here, Satan, in Jesus' name. He's gonna turn and leave. You gotta leave, leave my house. Leave now, go. Get off my property, get off of my body, get off of my mind, go. Honey, pray with me. You gotta be like that. That's the picture Paul is painting here, that we, we are to enforce at victory of Calvary, and not be passive about it. How many with me say amen? I'm almost done. Do the same. <clears throat> you know, so my question is this. When was the last time you gave your flesh a black eyeball? Just throwing that out there. You know, there's, I, I, I didn't, I, maybe I'm overstepping, but we have prayer and fasting this week. Miralise kind of orchestrated that with Holly. Thank you. And praying for the meetings, and there's, People, you know, we're praying for people in the church and fasting, and um, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you want to be a part of that or whatever, you go see those two ladies and say, count me in. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'm going to say about it. Nobody's strong-arming anybody, whatever, but you know what? Fasting gives your flesh a black eyeball. Thank you, Pat. Preach, Pastor Mike. I believe I will. Amen. I want to remind you that in our text in verses 24 to 27, which we started this message, it's set in the context of 1 Corinthians 9. Now watch this. And in this chapter, Paul is dealing with spiritual rights. Watch this. This is my point. I'm going to conclude here in a moment. Paul demonstrates in verses 1 to 23, what does he do? He says, I curtail my rights in order to win others to Christ. I am under grace. I am under liberty but I curtail that to win people for Jesus. I discipline my body so I'm not a stumbling block to others. People walk around and say, I'm free, I'm under grace. Don't put me underneath that bondage. You are free. What about the people that you're negatively affecting as a believer? There's things my wife and I, we've just decided, is like, we're just not gonna participate. We're not gonna do that. So pastor, you're under grace, you're under freedom. You bet I am, but I can still choose not to. That's all I'm going to say about that. Dr. Henry Allen Ironside was a great pastor at Moody Church in Chicago for many years, probably close to 18 to 20 years. He recalls a time, I'm, I'm, I'm closing, I'm closing, I promise you. He calls a time uh, when he was at a picnic with other Christians, and there was a man who converted from Islam to Christianity. His name was actually Muhammad Ali, but he's not Muhammad Ali the boxer, no. 
uh, but rather his name was Muhammad Ali. Well, at this picnic, a lady brought a basket of sandwiches up to this man and asked, would you like some? And he said, well, what, do, what kind do you have? And she said, well, I'm afraid all we have left is ham or pork sandwiches. And he says, do you not have any beef left? She replied, no, they're all gone. And he said, well, I won't have any. Well, the young lady knew that this man was a Christian, and she said, well, sir, I'm really surprised. Don't you know that as a Christian, you are free from all these food restrictions? Don't you know that you are under grace that you can eat ham and pork or whatever you like? The man looked at the young lady and smiled and replied, yes, I know that. I know I'm under grace. I know I'm free to eat. I'm under grace. I can eat pork but I'm also free not to eat it. And he says, here's why. I am still involved with my family back in the Near East, and I've been sharing Jesus with them for years. And I know that when I go home once a year and I come up to my father's door and I knock on the door, the first question he's going to ask me, my dad will ask me this, is have those infidels taught you to eat that filthy hog meat? This is what he he relates. And he says, In that moment, if I say, yes, I've eaten pork, his father, he said, will banish me from that home, and I will have no further witness in that man's life, my family. Wow. But if I say, as I've always been able to say, no, father, no pork has ever passed my lips, then I admit it into the family, I'm in the family circle, and I'm free to tell them about Jesus and how he saved me, and my family listens to me. Wow. What does this mean? It's this whole issue in proper perspective. Friends, you got rights. You got freedom in Christ. You're under grace. You're under liberty. But you also have the right not to exercise your rights for the sake of winning others to Jesus Christ and winning your race, this Christian life. Stand with me if you would, please. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says this. Only be careful that this liberty, this freedom, this rights does not somehow become a stumbling block that is a temptation to sin to those that are weak in conscience. It has to do with this whole teaching of others. The Bible talks about one another and others. But I'm under grace. I'm under liberty. You absolutely, you are. But watch this. I have a verse here. Maybe help me pull it up. First Peter. First Peter 4, 1 Peter 4.1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh and died for us. What's this next word say? Arm yourselves like warriors with the same purpose. That mindset. Bring willing to suffer for what is right and pleasing to God. Wow. Because whoever has suffered in the flesh, being like-minded with Christ, is done with intentional sin, having stopped pleasing the world. I have a two-minute video I want to show you, and I'm conclude. Promise you. <laughs> Promise you. Forgive me. But I think it, it solidifies about running our race to win. And I think it really depicts how a lot of Christians along the way may feel. And it actually has to do uh, with a gentleman, John Stephen Akway, it was the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. He was the last runner to finish in the marathon, and he was an athlete from Tanzania. So, I mean, he was a tremendous runner, 
skinny as a stick. I mean, the guy just, you know, was amazing. Uh, he had a difficult race, to say the least. At one point, he stumbled and fell. He was bruised, and he was bloody. His leg was badly injured. Actually, they say his knee was dislocated. Okay, he started a marathon, 26.2 miles. And, and his shoulder, when he fell, was, was badly damaged, and he was bleeding. He didn't quit. Even though everyone else had already finished the race and got home, he kept at it. At 7 o'clock in the evening, he limped into a near-empty stadium, but there were still 7,000 people there. They called a local television station because they all left. They said, there's one guy still running. He's not quitting. So they scrambled, and they brought in cameras. This is the video that you're going to see. Can we play that right now? Make sure that sound good, please. My country didn't send me halfway around the world to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. God has called us to finish the race. Some of you may feel bruised, rough conditions. Some of you have questions. I want to implore and encourage you. I'm speaking to myself. Let's finish the race, church. God has not left you. You started the race. He hasn't left you. He wants you to finish the race. He has an incorruptible crown at his judgment seat. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18 that we are to be continually be filled with the Holy Spirit, continually filled, faithfully running our race through the hard times, through the difficult times, through the times that are absolutely agonizing, that makes no sense. Seems like everything has imploded around us and we're still standing, badly bruised, but we serve a God that is an overcomer. And we can finish well. You can finish well. Lord, stamp eternity on our eyeballs, I pray. You're here this morning as a pastor. I'm not even in the race. I'm not right with God. This is a great day for you to begin afresh and anew. The scriptures teach us now is the time. Today is the day of salvation in 2 Corinthians. Today is the day of redemption and newness of life and beginning again. You're here today as a pastor. I need Jesus in my life. I'm backslidden. I'm away. I walked away. I stopped along the way. I camped out somewhere. God is encouraging you here this morning that he has times of refreshing times of refreshing for your life that you'll look back if you don't quit you'll look back if you don't quit and you go my God was good he rescued me through that season he rescued me and he has refreshed my soul you're here this morning you say pastor that's me I need to make Christ Lord of my life I'm going to pray a prayer here a very powerful prayer but it's a very simple prayer and I would like you to pray in unison if you're ready to surrender your life and give your life wholly to Jesus Christ. Can we pray together? Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Fill me with your presence. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I give you my life. Now take it. I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.
Amen.